Well, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 3. Uh, Why you're turning there, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Tony, and I'm pastor here at LAFC. And we've been teaching in the book of Ephesus uh, from Ephesians uh, since the beginning of September. This book was written by Paul uh, to the church of Ephesus, and uh, and the primary themes within it is about oneness. Oneness between Father God and the the Son and the Holy Spirit, and therefore his church, uh, bringing them together. And in chapters 1 and 2, we learned a lot about the triune God and how he is reconciling mankind back to himself by the work of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that what happened in because of that work was something that was unforeseen. And that's where it gets into the mystery that it speaks about at the end of chapter 2 and in the beginning of chapter 3, where this mystery, which was unforeseen to Satan and, and his forces, was that the Jew and Gentile would come together as one church, one body under one Lord. And that was not foreseen. And also what was not foreseen, and this was uh, quite frankly cataclysmic to Satan's strategy, was that that church was going to be given power and authority over him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so the wonderful mystery plan of God that was kept hidden in his heart is now unveiled in the church. And so we continue forward with that now in chapter 3. In chapter 3, as it talks about that mystery, he then goes into this, this verse in verse 13 where it says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are for your glory. So that was the final verse I read last week. The significance of that particular verse is this. Paul was incarcerated. He was in Rome in prison awaiting his death. Now, if you're the champion for the church and you're on death row, it's not exactly encouraging to your followers that they're about ready to lose their leader. But yet, Paul says, don't be discouraged. Rather, be encouraged. Take courage and and stand strongly because the church will survive. It will be strong and it will go beyond his lifetime and this will bring glory to the church through Jesus Christ. And so then what Paul does next, and that's where we're going to be today, is in verses 14 to 21, which is a prayer that basically Paul prays for the church so that they would be strong and courageous beyond his lifetime, that it would continue on. And so there's much to learn from how he prayed for the church in this text. And so let's begin by reading verses 14 to the beginning of verse 17, and then we'll continue on in the prayer later. So verse 14, Paul praying. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your, inner, in your hearts through faith. What a prayer. So he says, I kneel before the Father, with whom, from whom all families in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he prays that out of these glorious riches, God may strengthen you with 
power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Power in your inner being. Strengthen you in power through his spirit. So what is Paul saying here that he mentions, I pray that you get strong or get strengthened through the power of the spirit so that your inner being might be transformed by the presence of Christ. So the word power, by the way, is mentioned three times in this prayer. And that word comes from the word dunamis, which, you know, might sound familiar to you. Dynamite kind of has similar roots from that, uh, where you get some power into this. But ultimately, what it's speaking of is capacity, what its capabilities are. So when Paul prays here, he's praying that the church will have strength, and that strength will come from the power of the Spirit. So to strengthen the church through the capacity and capabilities of the Spirit. Now, think about the context of this particular chapter and this book for that matter. The church of Ephesus is a young church. In fact, all the churches that are written to in the New Testament are fledgling. They're young. They're new. They don't have the history of the church like you and I do. So they rely a lot upon the teaching that they're given in the present because they don't have history to learn from other churches. So Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. They're receiving it for the first time. They themselves have just been told in this letter that you are a part of a mystery that Satan himself could not have foreseen or understood to come. And this mystery is that Jew and Gentile will come together as one church under the power of one spirit, under one Lord. And this church will have authority over Satan and his kingdom. And this church will be walking temples of God. So under that, they've just received this, and now they're kind of like toiling with the message of that, that there is this capacity or this capability as a church that they did not know and yet to have attested to. They're still learning it. To appreciate what this would be like, it would be like what happened to me a few weeks ago when a husband and wife in this church came up to me after a church service and said, "Uh, we'd like to ask a favor of you. And I did the dangerous response of, sure, ask anything. And they said, well, we'd like you to babysit for us. I'm like, babysit? Now, to give you a little context, they're grandparents of several grandchildren. I'm thinking, oh man, they agreed to watch the grandchildren for a night and they can't and they're asking me to do it. Not a good move. But then as they were talking further, I began to realize they weren't talking about children. And I said, so I stopped them for a moment. I was like, what are we talking about that you need me to babysit? And he goes, well, we're going on vacation and we would like you to watch and take care of my red Corvette for two weeks. Oh yeah, yeah, amen. (laughs) And true to any man or woman for that matter that appreciates power if you're given the keys to a corvette 
you don't drive it 50 in a 55, even if it's not your car. You want to know what it can do. You want to know its capabilities. And so I pushed it to 58. <laughs> Maybe. I remember driving my daughter, getting, and she's a timid type of person, and I had her in the other side, and, and this, this was a Corvette convertible. It's a beautiful day, and we're riding, and there's some rural roads around our house, and, and we got to this place where I can see a long ways where there's no vehicles coming, and so I punched it, as you should do when you're driving a Corvette. Amen. So... We went there, and, and I hear my daughter going, whoa, 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 whoa. And then she's like, <laughs> She started laughing because all of a sudden she started realizing, this is kind of fun. And so, yeah, everybody I gave a ride to, I gave a ride to some of the kids that were in our, our life group and, and, uh, and then some of the parents as well. And they, the difference between adult and child and the seat next to me was no different. We, they all appreciated the power of when you punched it just a little bit, right? There's something cool about all that power. Well, part of it is that exhilaration when you don't know the capacity of something and then you experience it in that moment. The church was in the same predicament. They did not understand the power that was at their fingertips. They did not understand that, that by being coming, walking temples of Christ, where literally when you come into faith in Christ, it says in Ephesians 1, you're given the Holy Spirit. And, and he marks you as God's possession, but he also becomes that counselor, the presence of God in you. The church did, was just beginning to learn what the capacity of the Spirit being in them could provide. So think in that lens, and then let me reread this again. Paul praying in verse 16, he says, I pray that you, out of his glorious riches, may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the first prayer request he has is that the church would be strengthened by this power that, uh, that only the Spirit can provide. So there's a capacity that's given. And he's praying on his knees to convey how serious he is about this prayer. And he's praying to the Father on behalf of this church that they would experience power in the Spirit. But not just power in the Spirit. It was power in the Spirit to then experience in the depth of your being, the inner being, the, the core of you, that there would you experience the strengthening of the power of the Spirit so that Christ would dwell then in your hearts through faith, which basically means this, that in the inner part of your being, that if the presence of God hits that part to great power and capability and capacity, that the result of that would create a person whose dominating factor for all that they do is Christ and Christ alone. One commentary says, where Christ, in, in light of this, if the inner being is touched by the power of the Spirit, Christ becomes the dominating factor of everything you do. But when you're not operating by the power of the Spirit, where it permeates even to the core of your being, 
then you tend to compartmentalize and you operate by other factors at play. I made the mistake last week of sharing a little bit of my compartmentalization when I spoke to the Broncos gonna beat the Eagles later that day. Didn't happen. Some of you, too much delight, and I've received text messages. No prayer requests, by the way. So no true care of me. But the point is, whatever you spend your time to, and, and letting it in, get to the depth of your being, that's going to be the factors that affect what choices you make. So Paul recognizes he's got a young church that doesn't know its capacity. So what does he pray for them? He prays that it becomes strong. Not strong because they pull up their own bootstraps and they have confidence in themselves. It's like, I've got this. No, strong that at the depth of their being, at the greatest of their core, that what dominates every factor of their life is that Christ is the motivator and factor for all that they do. That's what he prays for the church. That all the outcomes of a person's life is evidential that the cause of it all is Christ. When you think about this, where you're hearing the Apostle Paul pray for you as a church, he's saying, I want you, that no matter what it is you do, that at the core of your being, what dominates you at the core of your being is Christ alone. So that all that happens is all about Jesus. All that happens is to his glory. And as a result of that, that, that power to experience that capacity comes from the Spirit. So he prays that the Spirit of God would strengthen the church to that level that all that they do is a factor about what Christ can be done in the life of all people on full display. Then he goes on to pray even more. And so two key things he's praying. The first one I've just said is to strengthen the church by the power of the Spirit. And then he goes on to pray another thing here at the end of verse 17. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to then grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the second prayer he prays is that the church would be given power, the capacity, the capability to comprehend the incredible love of Christ. So if you're praying for a fledgling church or a church that's just getting its legs, he prays, of course, that it will get strong. And it will get strong by the power of the Spirit, that the depth of their being will be such that all that happens out of that church is to the glory of Christ. But then he prays that they will be rooted and established, that the very foundation of the church will be upon love. And that that love will happen by the power of understanding just how incredibly wide, how incredibly long, how incredibly high, how incredibly deep is the love of Christ. 
Because if you get that, it will change everything about your life. So the church was being prayed for by Paul to be given the power to comprehend this incredible love of Christ. Now, my rhetorical question to you is this, why? Why does it matter that if you're going to pray two key things over a child, a church that is a child. So we prayed today several things over children. But in this case, you have a young church and he prays over them strength. That makes sense to me. But why is it so important to grasp the magnitude of the love of God? Why? Well, as I was pondering that question to myself, because I want to make sense of why Paul would pray just to this measure, that the height and depth and the, the width and the length of, of the love of God. So why is this so important that it's one of the two primary things he prays? So as I was considering that in my own life, and I was immediately drawn to when I realized just how significant the love of my wife actually is. Now, let me share this story briefly, if I may. And, and you'll appreciate it in the end. It's not to glorify this marriage or anything. But, but let me tell you, I didn't start off on the right foot with my wife. When we were dating, there was an opportunity to take her on a mission trip to Mexico with me. And so I thought, this is a great opportunity. I can take her to Mexico. I can learn to see what ministry side-by-side -side looks like to see if this is something that can work because I felt a calling to be in ministry. And so I'm a youth pastor at this time and, and she's one of my volunteer youth workers. And so it's like, all right, let's do ministry together in Mexico on this mission trip. So we get down there. And once our feet hit the ground, I did not talk to her. I didn't speak to her about anything. I didn't pray with her. I ignored her the entire time. We were even assigned the same work group. There were 36 on our team. And we were in a group of five. And so to do what I did required effort. And so she felt it that I did not talk to her. I ignored her and I did not esteem her on that trip. We get back to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I'm saying goodbye to everyone as their, their parents are picking them up. And, uh, and we're saying goodbye because we've just done eight days of mission work in Mexico together. So there's a lot of relationship built. And I say goodbye to everyone but my wife, Kristen. Needless to say, she was hurt. So a week goes by and I get a phone call from her. Now at that time, we didn't have smartphones this was in the mid-90s, and so we didn't even, I didn't even own a cell phone at that time. So she calls me and says, can we meet? I agreed. So we met at a Burger King. Let me tell you, I was very romantic. So we met at this Burger King in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And while there, once we got there, she met me there. I was preparing myself to get ridiculed, being basically chastised, confronted because I deserved it. But what my wife did was unexpected. Again, at this time, we're just dating. She said, obviously, there's something wrong, Tony, because you didn't talk to me, you ignored me, and you didn't even say goodbye to me when everybody came back to the place, and yet you gave every team member a hug but me. I said, I'm hurt, but I figure there must be something pretty seriously wrong, and I just want to make sure I hear it from you. 
And then she sat silently and listened to me explain myself for the next hour. And I shared with her that how I had been engaged before, a year before that, and that that engagement broke off three months before the wedding day. All my groomsmen from the Midwest had to cancel their air flights. They had spent money to come to that. I was embarrassed that that relationship didn't work out. And so I was extremely gun shy. And I became insecure internally that I had the capacity to love somebody for a lifetime. But yet, if I was going to take those vows, I wanted to love somebody for a lifetime. After I shared all my mess with her she ended by saying thank you that helps me understand and I'll be praying for you she got up she left got in her car and drove away I got in my car and as I'm driving home I'm replaying what I thought was an impossibility that this woman would have chosen to bless me rather than curse me that chose to listen rather than ream me out which I would have been well-deserved. By the time I got home, I remember shutting the door to my little apartment and getting down on my knees next to my bed and saying, God, please don't let her go. The next day I called, and three weeks later we were engaged. You see, what I learned is what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is patient, love is kind. I saw that on display through her and I realized that when I saw love for what it really looks like, I was all in. I was willing to commit myself for a lifetime. 25 years later, I am married to the most incredible woman in the world and I am blessed but it was because I saw love to its fullest coming out of her that it caused me to realize it's worth giving everything I have to her. So when I look at this and Paul is appealing to the church, I am saying, I pray, in verse 17, I pray that you, being rooted and established, so you are formed and founded in love, but that you will Find by power to discover just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because if you get that, you'll be all in. If you get that, you will be all in. You will not be second guessing what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be like, how would I not? How would I not? Jesus gave of everything, everything, so that you and I could be in a love relationship with the Father God. I mean, think about this. It says that this very church, this mystery, the Jew and Gentile that's been brought together is being built and established on love. The very essence of the church's existence comes out of the heart of God. The very simple verse that many of us memorized when we were young. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So it was love that caused this whole story to happen. The love of the father towards us. And if we get that, if we can understand just how much love is involved in our redemption, 
you will never second guess what it means to give of your life to him. You'll be all in. And you'll say, of course. When the world finds it strange that you would give yourself to something that is unseen or to a God that they do not have a relationship with, you'll stand strongly saying, but of course. How can I not with the love of God being what it is? And of course, what Paul says here is says that when you experience just to, and, and you're able to grasp and comprehend just how wide and long and high and deep is this love, that you will then be filled to the fullest measure of the fullness of God. And when I consider the moments I've experienced the presence of God in its fullness, I will tell you what is often, and actually every time I can think of when I experienced the fullness of God in a powerful way, there was some moment where I understood the love of God beyond other moments. Where it was on display and you experience it. So for a young, fledgling church, he prays, I pray for you that you'll be strengthened in the spirit. And as a result of that, you'll experience the fullness of all that Christ offers to you. And then I pray that you will get it, that you will get the love that he has for you. Because if you do, you'll never waver about being all in. It will take you through the most difficult of times because you've tasted and seen just how amazing the love of God is is that's the prayer for the church so the outcome of this sermon that i would ask is that i think we're given an example of how to pray for each other that we're called to pray for each other as part of the church and pray for other churches that the spirit will give them power and strength that the spirit will give them power and strength as a church. And that, secondly, that, that we'll pray for each other, that we'll grasp and understand and comprehend the love of Christ. Because if the church gets that, we'll be all in. And the Spirit of God has got fertile soil to work with. And lastly, we get the opportunity to pray for strength and love for each other that it'll be lived out in power, not to our glory, but to the glory of the Father. So what I'd like to do is to conclude by us praying for each other, praying for the church. So these three things will remain up on the screen as a guide on how to pray for each other. So what I want to ask you to do is to close your eyes now and just take some time to pray. And you could pray for the person on your right, your left. You could pray for the person in the row ahead of you. You could even choose to pray for a section here in this room. You could pray for somebody that wasn't able to be here today. You could pray for a church up the street. But I want you to take time now to pray for the church. Pray for each other that the Spirit will give them power and strength to live out God's intent for their life. That will be the dominating factor of all that they do. And then pray that they will get it. That they will comprehend this amazing love that comes from Christ. And then pray that that will be lived out among the people that are living in our communities. Lived out in power so that they can see the glory of God. Would you join me in praying for the church?
Let's pray now. And I'll pray silently. You can pray silently or you can, you can mouth it out loud. That's fine. We're just gonna pray now these three things for the church. And I'll trust who God aims your prayers towards. Father God, I prayed in first service for a friend who's struggling right now in his faith because of the extreme hardships he has experienced in his household. His faith is wearing thin. And I'm praying for a miracle, Lord, that you would revive his faith and intervene in his situation. But now, Lord, I, I feel called and compelled to pray for the church, but in particular, those who have just are, are just entering into their adult years, they're in college that are, or young professionals, they're in their 20s, where the world has taught a different set of values out there. But something rooted in many of them have caused them to say, I still find there's something powerful in the church and they've come here this morning or they're listening or they're at other churches around us and they're listening. I pray, Lord, that this these things that we've just heard from Paul will be true in the young generations that are rising up, that those who are in the church will experience the strength that comes from the power of the Spirit and the Spirit alone, that they will discover that Christ is worth being the most important thing at the core of their being. And I pray, Lord, that, that with Christ being the dominating factor of their life, that they will discover just amazing how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that it will cause them to never turn away from you. And that they will let their feet be planted there and they'll be all in. And that through that then, Lord, as being all in, that those younger generations will discover what it means to live that out where others can see the glory of Jesus Christ. So Lord, transform the younger generation's lives. And may we as a church be faithful at praying for them rather than criticizing the younger generations, but being faithful to pray for truth and spirit to win out in their hearts. And so Lord, I do ask that the church will be on display in our region in full, not in, in some kind of dissident spirit, but in a spirit of hope and light. And that, Lord, we will be finding that the most dominating factors in our lives is Christ. And we are operating from out of a foundation of love. Lord, we don't want glory for one particular church. We want glory for the Father God and the Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But yes, be on display through your church. To your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please?
What a savior indeed. We have just talked about something that seemingly was so impossible, but yet if you have come to faith, you caught a glimpse of it. But now it's about grasping it as a whole. Because when you grasp the whole, then it's worth, you'll find it worthy to give every aspect of your life over to him. And so as a prayer over a church, we pray these things that you will find strength so that you can discover Christ is the dominating thing in your life, that it is, he is the factor for all that is accomplished through you. And that also when you get it, when you get his love, that you'll be motivated to go all in. Now you're probably thinking, why in the world did you not read the whole prayer? It's because I'm gonna finish it now. Ephesians 3 verses 20 to 21 says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him then be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Amen. Glory to Christ through the church. If you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have people that'd be glad to pray with you in our encounter room, which is to my left, your right, as you go out the door. Because we want you to experience, if you need to pray with someone, we want you to experience what it means to discover the love of Christ. Because it's a game changer. And so to that end, we receive that which Paul has listed here as our marching orders that we go out strengthened as a church and praying for the strength of the church. And also then praying that God would reveal to us the fullness of his love. And that by the power of those two things, we'll realize the full capacity of the church. And that is God has chosen the church to be his change agent to the entire world. To his glory forever, amen. You're dismissed.